Um, Professor Sullivan's here with me. Hello. Have you ever read Common Sense? I feel like I almost certainly must have. Really? Why do you feel like you must have? Because I think that I read it in high school civics. You read it in high school civics. Fascinating. I think. I could be wrong. Cool. I don't think I could have read it in college, and I don't think I would have read it in grad school. No. So, so high school it is. If I read it, I think I read it in high school. That's interesting. That's interesting. It's a very... It's not very long, correct? Not particularly long, but it's not also extremely short. It's not Declaration of Independence level short right. either. I wonder if... I excerpts. Have, that's what I was going to say. I may possibly. have read excerpts. Excerpts, almost certainly. 
um, in high school. Well, not almost certainly, but would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially in a place like North Carolina, that's a little more. Yeah, my ninth grade class was civics. Right. Like it was. But so I, would I feel like we think might have that North Carolina would lean a little more on the libertarian end of things in its. I don't know. That teacher was just obsessed with Thomas Jefferson. Is mostly right. what I remember. Right. Well, okay. So you almost certainly then would have been like doubling down on the founders. Yeah. Um, what's interesting that you Thomas Jefferson thought that Thomas Paine had really captured a great amount of the sentiment of the revolution. So mm -hmm. it's not surprising that a yeah. high school teacher obsessed with Thomas Jefferson would yeah. just sort of... She called him TJ. It was a little yeah. weird. Like, it was like her boyfriend, kind of. It was... Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it happens. You know, some yeah. people get really... She was really into Thomas a Jefferson. disturbing to imagine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Um, it's interesting, though, because pain is not... Pain, while we might read common sense, is not at all considered among the pantheon of founders. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly, it's only been probably since the 1970s or 80s that there's been any revival of interest. I think the first major biography of Thomas Paine, like intellectual biography, I th I'm sure we had to wait till like the 19th century to get one. Mm -hmm. And then, it, unlike the rest of the founders, where it's like, I mean, you can read the dang minutes of the Continental Congress, right? right? Like, right, right. And they're, they're published new editions of the Continental. Right, like, all I the mean, time. So it's not to say no one knows about Thomas Paine, don't right, get me wrong. Right, right, right. But compared to some of the other folks in the founding era, Thomas Paine is not quite as well, um, is not uh, the same doesn't have the same degree of veneration. Mm -hmm. um, but as you maybe, do you remember anything about Common Sense? Mm, I'm sure it'll come back to me. I'm pretty sure I've read this. It was a bestseller. Did you learn that, that it was a bestseller? Maybe. Sounds familiar. In 1776, basically every literate American yeah, had, had read, read Common yeah. Sense. Because it was still sold as kind of a pamphlet, though, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't like a... Absolutely. It's not like a you know, Marxist tome or something. No, not even, probably not even bound, right? right. I mean, yeah. probably wasn't even bound. Right. Was more printed on like broadsheets, like a newspaper. Yeah. Really fine text, right. you know, to yep. fit it on like three pages. And right, yeah. There would have been readings at public houses and stuff, right. you yes. know. You yeah. Kind of imagine that whole scenario, Hamilton yeah. vibes, sort of. Yeah. The musical, I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Should yes. be. Right, right, right should be dancing in your head right now. Right. All right. Okay. Should I so, get started? Um, let's just go ahead and start. It's a weird book. I think that one of the reasons perhaps that Thomas Paine, well, we'll just talk about the weirdness as we go. Okay. It's a weird book. All right. So from page 19. Oh, these are, hang on, for just for students, these are not, we're not going to be going in strictly linear order, just FYI. We're going to be trying to kind of draw out some themes as we go. So. All right. So from page 19. I offer nothing more than simple facts, plain arguments, and common sense, and have no other preliminaries to settle with the reader than that he will divest himself of prejudice and prepossession and suffer his reason and his feelings to determine for themselves that he will put on, or rather, that he will not put off the true character of a man and generously enlarge his views beyond the present day. Okay. So okay. what what do you notice in that passage? 
What kind of things stick out to you in that passage? Well, I mean, he's definitely, I don't know what the writing style would have been like in mm -hmm. political tracks at this time. Obviously, we read Cotton Mather last, which was like very hard to read, right? Okay, okay. And so this sort of like plain arguments, simple facts, common sense, right? That this is like definitely seems geared towards a different uh, yes. audience, I guess, yes. than the Cotton Mather that we read yes. previously. Yes, um, glad you noticed that. Glad you noticed that. Okay. And Tell me if a little we're bit generously more enlarging our views beyond the present day, then I take it we are probably looking towards the future here mm -hmm. and sort of thinking about trying to, um, yeah, like sort of set aside maybe our, right, our prejudices. And mm -hmm. I don't, prepossession is no term I think we use in the modern probably not world, probably but not probably it was related to prejudice in that um yeah so that yeah you're gonna like you're supposed to hit this common sense simple facts with an open mind that's right that's right and I think that that there's a couple of things to notice here one is you're absolutely right the the pitch the or the level at which he's pitching his argument is absolutely to a kind of I mean, I'm going to use this word in a in a very untechnical sense, but he's he's one of the first truly kind of democratic right. American writers, right, right. and that this is what actually John Adams detested um, <laughs> detested Thomas Paine uh -huh. because he thought he was like um, John Adams was a very cerebral intellectual, right? Uh -huh. His letters with Thomas Jefferson, which I'm sure your high school teacher was, yeah, you sure know, kept under her pillow or whatever, sure. uh, are these gorgeous philosophical, right, right, right. you know, inquiries. And he right. thought Thomas Paine was like right, inflaming brute, the rabble, like, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in sympathy, right? But like, yeah, yeah. this is a little, he's, he's like right. bringing into the argument maybe some people who, well... If they never got into the argument, it would be just fine with right. people like John Adams and right. other of the more elite right. and patrician founders. So I'm glad you noticed that, that he's, that already the style here, even though, I mean, of course, there's a, well, God, there's only like 50 years that separate them. Uh -huh. Styles don't change that much in right. 50 years, especially without like huge booms in literacy, right. which there wasn't a huge boom in literacy between Mather and. There was. There was not there a was huge not. boom. Uh -huh. Um not that I know of. I mean, that's a really interesting question. It's not one that I think of. Uh, I, don't I don't think know. of I as a. I don't think don't of know. a huge boom in literacy. But distinctly, there's no like references to ancient Greek history here, right? Yeah. Right. right. I'm not going to place the American experiment in this long history right, tradition of, of yeah. No, no. The Greeks and the. We've like, just yeah. got common sense here. I'm just just plain yeah, facts. Plain language. Which to be clear, continues to be an important element of American political style. Oh, absolutely. Style. I mean, when I read this, I was yeah, like, I, hope you... I could see someone saying this now. Yeah. You know, take out the prepossession and some of the other stuff. Right. But that beginning that I offer nothing more than simple flat facts, plain arguments, and common sense. I feel it's like just common you sense. can get that in a campaign ad now. Like, Yes. Certainly. Certainly. So, Payne is one of our great originators of this plain spoken American style. Uh-huh. Cool. Okay. okay, so moving on, uh, here's a quote from page six. Some writers have so confounded society with government as to leave little or no distinction between them. Oh, some writers have so confounded society with government as to leave little or no distinction between them. 
whereas they are not only different, but have different origins. Society is produced by our wants, and government by our wickedness. Ooh. The former promotes our happiness positively by uniting our affections, the latter negatively by restraining our vices. The one encourages intercourse, the other creates distinctions. The first is a patron, the last a punisher. Mm-hmm. Nice quote, right? Yeah, it's a great quote. It's a great quote. Great, great. It's maybe one sentence or is it two? Mm, there's a lot of semicolons. Right. Okay. Two sentences, though. So, no, three. Three. There's three, three. sentences. Okay. But a lot of semicolons, nonetheless. So let me ask you something. Yes. Is that common sense? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Right. So underneath this veneer of common sense is a relatively, like, a position that maybe needs to be argued yeah, definitely. rather than asserted. Definitely. I didn't think I was, I wasn't actually expecting what he just told me he was going to give me. Well, what's interesting about it, I mean... I mean, what I start, things are common sense? like. Well, just you wait until you see some of the other metaphors that he uses okay. that are, I think, quite fascinating, right? Yeah. This is loaded with all kinds of, like, I mean, it's just... It's a funny text. The, yeah. the various levels of argument that are happening here. So there's one level that's happening that is purely like this common sense and this very kind of democratic okay. set of metaphors. There's another layer where you're getting this kind of... Well, you're getting something that's clearly in dialogue with a long history of European right. political thought. Yeah. Right? Here is calling on lots of social contract yeah, theory, English Hobbes, social contract theory. Like exactly. You've got bit, some Hobbes right? and Locke in some, here, the yeah. distinction between society I mean, and I was government. Say, even Rousseau, I feel like, is probably dealing with the society Rousseau, government. yeah, certainly, 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 yeah. And Paine was a big defender of the French Revolution, so certainly is kind of imbibing some Rousseauian ideas. I don't know Paine well enough to know exactly right, his kind of intellectual whatever, biography. Yeah. Certainly, he was an Englishman, so certainly the English social contract tradition right, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. vibrant with him. Right. But he gives a really nice encapsulation of that whole thing, right? right? That society yeah. is the good stuff, right. government's the bad stuff, right. right? And this is another this is another element of Paine's kind of um, bequest to. American political thought is mm-hmm. we've got this early statement. He's not the only one, but he so neatly captures this kind of uh, what we would now call a kind of libertarian impulse, right? Okay. Of government is a necessary evil. Like it may oh, be necessary, uh-huh. right? But it is not, it's, it's not, it doesn't call forth our best, mm-hmm. right? It is something that restrains, restrains our, our worst. Vices. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, I just want us to be attentive to the various levels, and I think kind of as we go forward, thinking about, is this common sense or is this not common sense? Mm-hmm. And what exactly are I feel the like purposes? common sense always just makes me think of your mom. Well, I mean, wait till you get to some of these things, and you might hear some like, arguments oh that, you know, my mom might find persuasive. Yeah. Right? I feel All like right. she's the person in my life that I know that I would be most likely to hear talk about something being just, That's just common, common sense. sense. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom does say that. She does. A lot. Yeah. She does. Mm. She definitely does. Okay. On page 7. Uh the proportion 
oh, sorry, in proportion as the first inhabitants surmount the first difficulties of immigration. So he, he just to be clear here, he's kind of imagined just like the social contract tradition. He's imagined like the first people. Okay. 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 Yeah. So these are like our kind of classic, imaginary or classic imaginary social contract okay. thought experiment. What yeah, was yeah. it like when you had nothing? Right. Yeah. You got it. You got it. All right. Which bound them together in a common cause. They will begin to relax in their duty and attachment to each other. And this remissness will point out the necessity of establishing some form of government to supply the defect of moral virtue. Right. Yeah. So that they come, they start good. They're like kind of Garden of Eden good. Yes. The beginning, but then, and they're bound together initially, but then they relax and become remiss, and then they need to have a government to correct their defects in moral virtue. Yeah. I mean, what is, read the part, read what exactly government does for their, in relationship to their. Supplies the defect of moral virtue. Supplies the defect of moral virtue. I mean, that's kind of interesting, right? It's a weird turn of phrase. I mean, yeah. some of that is, I think, also still that we are actually dealing with a le- not a modern form yeah. of... Yeah, we're still looking at an 18th century text here. Yeah. But but again... Just yeah, a, I mean, we just have moral failings, and that's what government does, is it fixes our moral failings. Right. We're bad. We're fallen. Mm-hmm. Government, steps, government in steps in to save those... To, or to just somehow prevent... To punish, really, it says, actually, if we go back to that earlier card, it's not a patron, punish. it's a punisher, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. government's here to punish our moral defects. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Should I keep moving? You keep moving. Let's just keep moving. We're going to kind of breeze through some right, of this stuff. page eight. I draw my idea of the form of government from a principle in nature, which no art can overturn. These that the more simple anything is, the less liable it is to be disorders. Or disordered, probably. Disordered. And the easier repair... Oh, yeah. The less liable it is to be disordered and the easier repaired when disordered. Okay. Okay. So is that common sense? I suppose that must be common sense. Right. It's just common sense. If it's a simple thing, I mean, there's only one thing to break. (laughs) There's only one thing to break. Yeah. Right? So And then we can fix it. Uh, complex computers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it used to be you could change your own oil, yeah. but now they got <laughs> so many computers so in there. Right? Okay. Yeah. So so Payne has quickly moved from English social contract theory. But I, have we told this class that both you and I are from the South? I don't think so. So when I grew up in Oklahoma, so when I think I grew about... Up, I grew up in North Carolina. So Joel and I always revert to a pretend voice that is in our heads that is from the South. Yeah, sorry. It's not... I mean, anyone that knows us knows that... I love the South. Yes. I miss it wickedly, <laughs> but like... Yes. Anyway, you so... May hear, you may hear put on Southern accents on this podcast. Yeah, but it's... Uh, Loving. It's, and it's also partly because that's the voice... That, that actually is the voice in my brain. <laughs> yeah, that's the voice in the brain. Actually is, we yes. You can't do a northern voice. That would actually be a put on. I don't even know how to. I couldn't do it. Anyway. I won't even. Apple. <laughs> anyway, so. All right. Okay. I just wanted to point that out. Okay, common so we've got common sense. So we've moved. So, so I just want to point out that pain is regularly going to move from 
Like, he's going to he's going to have a kind of ab- large abstraction, right? Something that's absolutely not common sense. Something that relies upon um, sophisticated, more sophisticated kinds of arguments. Something that um, summarizes and distills rich intellectual traditions. And then he's going to kind of pivot and be like, right. well, I mean... It's just it's, folk wisdom. What I'm talking about yeah. here is just... The only point that I'm trying to make is that simple things are much less likely to break than complicated ones, right? So that register, the common sense turns out to be kind of like, um, it's like a a magnet that keeps drawing his argument back in. And so I don't know exactly where, whether we'll find something to make of that, but like the idea of common sense just keeps kind of like, it's like a magnet. It pulls him back rhetorically and then he dilates back out into bigger themes. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so on page 12, uh, he says, Government by kings was first introduced into the world by the heathens, from whom the children of Israel copied the custom. Right. It was the most prosperous invention the devil ever set on foot for the promotion of idolatry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you see a variety of things Uh that um, pop up here. So we're moving into a religious register yep. of the argument. And, I mean, it's a... Re- there, there's a little more on the that keeps going on the... It's like a second quote, but on the religious register. I yeah, let's just keep going. Just fill out the quote. Okay, so on um, page 14, um, that continues uh, where there's this long passage, interpreting passages for the book of Samuel, apparently. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew um, Bible, yes. That so then the quote begins, or the Old Testament, depending on where you sit in the Judeo Christian spectrum. Okay, so that the Almighty hath here entered his protest against monarchical government is true, or the scripture is false. (laughs) That must be common sense, too. I think. Mm, Well, hang on, (laughs) and a man hath good reason to believe that there is as much of king craft as priest craft. In withholding, oh my goodness, in withholding the scripture from the public in popish countries? Popish. Oh, popish, popish, yes. right? Popish. Yes. For monarchy in every instance is the popery of government. <laughs> right, right, so we hate the Catholics. We hate the heathens. We hate the Catholics. And who else are we separating ourselves from? The heathens? Oh, the children of Israel. Children of Israel and the Catholics. And the Catholics, yeah. Right? We are Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a lot's going on there. Uh-huh. There's a few things to just kind of think about unpacking. I mean, partly I think, I mean, if I was going to sum this up, okay, I would say kings are bad because we can associate them with heathens, Jewish peoples, and Catholics. Right. Again, though, not exactly... Not exactly an argument that one could just assume. Right. No, no. I don't right? think. The first, when I read the first part in a certain regard, I think that like calling like the the worship isn't the right word, but the, like what do you call what's like required by a king? Worship? What do you do to a king? Tribute? Tribute? I don't know. The sort of like way in which you are required to like bow down to mm-hmm. the king, right? Mm-hmm. That I feel like calling that a form of idolatry mm-hmm. 
seems to me like you could go down a little bit of a common sense mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to genuflect to the king. What is that? You know, like, mm-hmm. whatever. But then the rest, I think you're right, that we're far beyond. Well, and what, I mean, so that there is explicitly, this the series of quotes is explicitly separating any notion of religious sanction for monarchy. Wait, say that again? What Payne is doing oh, is suggesting right, that, that, like, that the, the godly monarchy is right actually kings, heretical. Right, 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 right. Is there, right, right, right. So that's absolutely not common sense, right? It's like the opposite of common sense. I think that is not a commonly held view. By that period, you know, the divine right of kings has already been through some challenges as a, as a conceptual framework, but it is a fairly strident version of separating religious sanction right. for... Yeah, yeah, for the... And is, I think you are correct to note, is attempting to, whether it's common sense or not, it is certainly attempting to inflame provincial prejudices mm-hmm. of oh, yeah. colonists in both recognizing that, well, Jewish people and Catholics are more inclined to support kings, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it Rhetorically, yeah. it's really it's working. It's an us and them. There's it's an really them working thing. on an like, us and a them, yeah. and it's lots of thems. I mean, it's very populist, this thing. It's like yes. super populist. I mean, I thought that Extremely from the very beginning is a common sense. But like, populist. I mean, the other one of the other features I always think about with populism is that us and them sort of boundaries being important. Yes, I, I think just like that the word popery. Popery. And the way in which it sounds kind of like potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think you're right. I don't want to lose in the in the in the. Um, I don't want to lose that sense of imagining this text as one of the um, early texts in a kind of American populist. Tradition. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds. I would definitely like Good. interpret it that way. Yes, I, I would too. <laughs> Seems like it to me. That opening there. All right, so on page 15. Okay. Okay, we're going to get some natural proofs here. One of the strongest natural proofs mm-hmm. for the folly of hereditary right in kings is that nature disproves it. Otherwise, she would no, not so frequently turn it into ridicule by giving mankind an ass for a lion. <laughs> <laughs> I think right? that's common sense. Common sense. He's just bringing the house down, bringing right? The house I mean, can down, you imagine him? He's at a rally. For a this lion. is totally a pat phrase in a stump <laughs> speech. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Goes wild. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so in the swamp. So he's gone. So lots of arguments have been trotted through. Like he's like just done this dash through, like a biblical commentary on mm-hmm. the Book of Samuel. Right, and he's and then he's, now he's going to make a joke about. Yeah, I skipped a section where he talks about how where he engages with this idea. I didn't even give you the quote because it seemed too long. But, but it's not far. I mean, the thing about no. the Bible is on page fourteen. I don't know how long these pages are, but the not very. thing about asses <laughs> you mean getting an ass instead of a lion is on page fifteen. So yeah. we've not moved very far. It's about probably page twelve or thirteen that he's he kind of engages with as well. You know, some people say it's not an absolute monarchy. 
but really the power of the throne comes all through pensions and privileges. And so that means that the king, while not exactly absolute, is the central, like, so he's got this, like, right. within a couple of pages, he's got this, like, political theory dissection of monarchy. Right. Right. Then he's got this religious, religious. dissection, <laughs> and then he, like, punctuates it with this little appeal to common sense, yeah, yeah. right? This kind of populist. Yeah, giving mankind an ass for a lion. I really like <laughs> uh, that. It's very funny. All right, so okay. last quote, I think, on our monarchy stuff. Um, so on page 17, men who look upon themselves born to reign and others to obey soon grow insolent. Selected from the rest of mankind, their minds are easily poisoned by importance. In the world, they... Something differs so material from the world at large. Maybe that they live in. This looks like there's a word missing. Probably. Um, yeah, the world they that, live in, sure. That they have but little opportunity of knowing it's true. So the world that they're in differs so materially from the world at large that they have but little opportunity of knowing its true interests. And when they succeed to the government are frequently the most ignorant and unfit of any throughout the dominions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so like you just have these out-of-touch, rich elites. elites. Right, we're just, we're right. It's another us and them, right? I mean, if we're going to read this in this populist lens, I mean, they're like, these people are, you know, end up, A, the hereditary thing gives you, you know, an ass instead of a lion. And it seems like even if it was to give you a lion, it's going to be one that's like so out of touch that mm -hmm. like that there's, you know, no matter who you get in terms of the luck of birth, you also have this problem of being so separated from the rest that you are clueless. Yes. Populism at its yeah. finest. Yeah, totally. I don't know if it's at its finest, but yeah, populism but in popular. a very explicit and, and easily yeah. Uh, accessible form. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So on page 39. All right. So we've moved quite a bit. Um, so I think we're changing themes, you said? We so are. We are. So let's see if we can pull out what these themes are all okay. about. Okay. Commerce diminishes the spirit both of patriotism and military defense. And history sufficiently informs us that the bravest achievements were always accomplished in the non-age of a nation. With the increase of commerce, England hath lost its spirit. The more men have to lose, the less willing they are, are they to venture. Mm. The rich are in general slaves to fear and submit to courtly power with the trembling duplicity of a spaniel. Right, right. That's another nice rhetorical, right? It's a very rhetorical text, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of this stuff all over the place. Right. And so, so it gives you this without also... I don't think this is common sense either. Which part? The commerce stuff? Yeah. I don't know, maybe, I don't so, know. Uh, I mean, it sounds like an aphorism. The more men have to lose, the less they are willing to venture. So this is actually, there is a, um, there is a tradition of philosophical and political thought that we would call the Scottish Enlightenment or the Scottish Common Sense. Yes, yes. Remember that? Yep. Uh, Steve Leonard, mm -hmm. who I told a story about in my... Oh, no, that was in 389, sorry. One of my professors in grad school. We didn't read Common Sense with him. No, 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 but we certainly read Adam Ferguson, yeah. an exemplar of Scottish common sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, and Ferguson and the whole school of, common sense, of Scottish common sense were really um, kind of 
Republican revivalists who were, you know, they were, um, they had like a, what's the word I'm not, looking for? Not in the U.S. sense, Republican. Republican yeah, no, Republican like with a, a little r. Um, the word I was looking for, I could only come up with a rude word, so I'm gonna have to. <laughs> they were really, um, they were really uh, big on Sparta, ancient Sparta. Okay. And um, what they, the part, an element of Republican Scottish Republicanism, Scottish Enlightenment, Scottish common sense stuff, was that luxury made you weak. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. That but is you, that still common sense? Maybe. I mean, maybe in these like people go go to. I feel like I guess I feel like here we're going back into a philosophical argument that does not necessarily. But it has a nice, easy congruence with uh, a sort of folk Protestantism. Right. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. That is okay, anti-pageantry. Fair. fair. Right. I fair. mean, that's. And like you feel like all these people are like homesteaders, basically. So this is like the opposite of like the lords and. They are exactly. The these are the like, tough right. people. Right. These are good. Common stock people, right? And right. we're not thing, talking about plantation owners. We're talking about like yeah. no, when they hate all this stuff with these stained glass windows in their right. churches right. and right. all right. this right. stuff, right? Luxury makes you weak. Right. Commerce makes you weak. Right. You right. get too focused on your commercial benefits, and you start you start to lose. You lose all of your patriotism. You'll right. you, that's fascinating. That part. I mean, that would be an interesting. Yeah, fun paper. Commerce yeah. making you lose your patriotism. Fun paper. That part I feel like is very not in our current. God no. Lug the luxury part. Luxury makes you weak. I still think we have. Some, sure. At least some of that. Mm -hmm. I think we have a complicated relationship to that. Ooh, absolutely. But the other, I feel like the commerce and patriotism thing. I mean, after nine eleven, we were told to like go out and shop for America, yes. right? Like, I mean, this yes. is like. The opposite of... Sort of flipped it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder when that changed. Anyway. All right. Great question. We'll start... Well, maybe we should pay attention to that through it's the semester. It's an interesting... I, I don't know if I have anything specifically that'll... Illuminate that? Illuminate that, but it's worth thinking through. All right. So on page 53, kings are not taken away by miracles. Neither are changes in government brought about by any other means than such as are common and human. Mm -hmm. And such as we are now using, even the dispersion of the Jews, though foretold by our Savior, was affected by arms. Yes, and this is in a, uh, a special appendix to the Quakers, to Common Sense, who he is enjoining to um, support the revolution. Okay. And he is saying to Quakers and other like-minded Protestant sects, now is not the time for neutrality. Right. No miracle will do this. If God right. is going to work, God will work, work through, through human us. hands, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, all of this is also pointing at this particular aspect of Payne's text that is um, related to its not being a sophisticated set of political arguments or sophisticated set of theoretical arguments, rather, but that it, it is particularly keyed, I mean, it comes out in 1776. The revolution is underway. Okay. Right? And um, it's it's very much tied to the moment and very much trying to 
spur people into action, right? right? So it's very keyed to a particular moment with, I mean, propagandistic yeah. kinds of yeah. goals. Yeah. So if we're looking, I mean, a couple times here, we've been kind of making fun of it for being common sense, but I also want to sort of zoom out a little bit and take a take a look at the context and that oh yeah it's he's not call, making it's a call to arms a little bit yeah you can read the rights of man his like two volume treatise on you know uh it's kind of republicanism mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. if you want to get thomas Paine, or you could read the age of reason mm -hmm. if you want thomas Paine, the theorist, the theorist right. here we get thomas Paine, the propagandist right right all right all right page 23 Europe is too thickly planted with kingdoms to be long at peace, and whenever a war breaks out between England and any foreign power, the trade of America goes to ruin because of her connection with Britain. Right. So here's... Sorry. This is a very practical kind of argument, right? Mm hmm So this is not about... This is, there's no theoretical... So we've, we've gotten... How many different registers have we gotten here? We've gotten a totally philosophical one, mm -hmm. right, about government and society. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a religious one mm -hmm. about monarchy. Mm -hmm. We've gotten... Some common sense. We've gotten this very practical one just now, right? Oh, I wouldn't call it... This one I feel like is just like a... It's like an IR. <laughs> it's like international relations primer, like... Here's just what's to understand about the way that the international relations work and the like law of America in this system. Right. Right. Is that we suffer to no fault of our own. Our commerce suffers. But wait. We don't want. We don't. Wait, what? It's a little confusing, right? So on the one hand, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I guess partly, partly we should understand this, that, that Payne is saying... Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly where, where he thinks this is ending, but Payne is saying England's gotten too too weak, too relaxed, too luxuries made it too soft. And we're still in the early stages of developing our commercial status. See, I don't think that's what this says. They may say it again. No, I I, I, that, this quote oh. doesn't say that. This oh, okay. quote is, I think, talking about how the United States, the America is impeded from developing its commerce because of its its um, its union with Britain. The quote you just But read. I guess I was going to say, I'm not sure that there has to be a tension because if you think about what, I mean, it still is commerce, right? At this, I think there is just a tension here. Um, but if you think of like the partly the trade of America in this period must have been forgetting some fairly like I mean I don't know what what the trade looks like but I would imagine right I mean in, if we think about these old mercantilist systems mm -hmm. it was like raw goods go out and finished products come in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so that you would be thinking that like this is like how the finished products are being gotten so that when the trade is disrupted it's not just like commerce in some abstract like way of money making but mm -hmm. like we don't actually have the goods that we need need mm -hmm. and maybe in some cases i don't know whether there was like certain kinds of food products that were coming over still at this point like right but mm -hmm. that you would think about that there would be some sure sure 
Right? Like there's some of this could be more basic than like a like broader sense of like. It's not just about your tea. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we just need the tea and the our pants or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there mm-hmm. were seamstresses in the Americas. But mm-hmm. Anyway. All, All right. right. So we've got a commercial. In other words, we also have a commercial argument yeah. and underlying all of this and perhaps helping to um, bring people, everyone into this argument is the sort of glue of common sense. Right. That sort of glues all these together. Sure. The populist appeal. Okay. All right. Page 26. Small islands not capable of protecting themselves are the proper objects for kingdoms to take under their care. (laughs) But there is something very absurd in supposing a continent to be perpetually governed by an island. Right now, that's a that's a common sense. Common sense. This is common sense. sense. You know, I mean, we're bigger than they are. We're (laughs) bigger. Right. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. That's small place. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So there again. Notice that it comes around the. Hang on, are we going to sneeze? It comes around the point. All right, it comes around the point at which he's sort of engaging in this larger commercial argument, but happening around there is this populist glue. Yeah. Right. So that An he can never get. Can't govern a continent. Oh, That's absurd. Can't. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It's just calm. You know what I yeah. mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Page thirty-two. A government of our own is a natural right, and when a man seriously reflects, a, a government of our own. Is, a na- is our natural right. Natural right? Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. And when a man seriously reflects on the precariousness of human affairs, he will become convinced that it, is infinite, that it is infinitely wiser and safer to form a constitution of our own in a cool, deliberate manner while we have it in our power than to trust such an interesting event to time and chance. Right. Okay. So we're moving into what I think of as the kind of last phase of Paine's argument, or or the. So I don't know if it's a last phase, but we're getting to a slightly different register, and we're starting to. We're starting to see in Paine ways that. That he is going to now draw on some of these themes of exceptionalism. And here he's tying that to some sense of like this going back to this kind of English social contract yeah. tradition to call on natural rights. Natural rights, yeah. I mean. Right? And then and to link that to to link that intellectual tradition to this long standing um by this point, long-standing, uh, uh, nearly a hundred years of this kind of exceptionalist understanding of of the colonies. I feel like I don't see the exceptionalism, see the exceptionalism? here. No, I feel like okay, so it's a natural right. So we're going back to the philosophy, <laughs> and then I feel like it's like since it's our natural right, we got to seize the bull by the horns. Ah, right. So it's like this is. It's going to happen, right? This is inevitable that eventually... We shouldn't just let it, though, be... We shouldn't, like... We should do this in a cool, deliberate manner while we have it in our power rather than just, like, let Trusting it be... Trusting it's time. Time and chance. So, like, I feel like this one is far more... Less about the American exceptionalism and far more about the, like, don't sit on the sidelines, 
grab the bull by the horns. If, if we know this is coming, you shouldn't sit, sit it out. Like, we should make sure this happens right. on our the time of our choosing. We shouldn't leave it right. up to luck. We should yeah. be deliberate with yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that maybe I'm reading that in the context. I've, I've deliberately decontextualized that quote and put it in the in a section of others that are more explicitly exceptionalist. I suppose in that I, I kind of thought that this, I guess I was kind of imagining that, that this is, that our natural right is kind of. Oh, like the, the, the our part that you were highlighting. A little there. bit, a little bit. But, okay. but again, I could see that I'm only too. reading it, I'm only, only because I've decontextualized it to put it with these others that are more explicit. Uh -huh. But I think, I mean, I suppose that in a sense that pains, to be sure, Payne is a supporter of the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And so Payne... Yeah, that he could think that this Payne is just... Payne is a believer, yeah. is, a, is a true believer in democracy. Right. Right? I mean, his populism is not just a propagandistic put-on. Right. And his desire to inflame the passions of the common folk and to encourage them to govern themselves and to right. seize a moment to govern themselves is not I, I don't want I don't want to leave people with the wrong impression. Right. That this is just him trying to like right. you know uh you know just rabble well, Populism rouse. doesn't I mean it can it, it can be, but like I mean populists tend to believe in yeah. people's power. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, what that looks like, I guess, varies, and how much and what do particular they aspects of the people's aims how are. How much they want the people to directly be participating varies, I think. But yes, yeah, okay. So let's keep going, and let's let's read these ones that I think hit the more exceptionalist rhetoric more explicitly. Okay, so from page nineteen, tis not the concern of a day, year, or an age. Posterity are virtually involved in the contest and will be more or less affected, even to the end of time, by the proceedings now. Mm -hmm. Now is the seed time of continental union, faith, and honor. The least fracture now will be like a name engraved with the point of a pin on the tender rind of a young oak. The wound will enlarge with the tree, and posterity read it in full-grown characters. Right, right. So here is a bit more of this kind of explicit city on a hill-ish okay. stuff, uh -huh. right? That right now is the moment at which posterity, what we're doing is not just for ourselves, but for all of posterity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And we, what we do now, it's of such importance that it will grow in visibility and grow to be a message mm -hmm. to the world as a, message scrawled a pinprick on the tender rind of an oak, joke. right? Yep. But I, I mean, I guess it is helpful. This conversation is helpful in that it's, it's reminding me to emphasize that, that Payne is a true believer in this democratic vision. I mean, he, he gets fired up by the American Revolution because he genuinely believes that it foretells a kind of democratic throwing off of monarchical power sure. across the European world, right? Sure. I mean, sure. it is the first moment at which someone says no to the European order mm -hmm. for pain, right? Mm -hmm. That it is absolutely not just an, I mean, that, that yeah, 
that he's stoked and happy to imagine. Do you have anything to say about the Haitians? Did he have anything to say about the Haitians? It's an interesting, it's a fascinating question. I just always, when we're thrown off the yokes of the Europeans, I wonder how far that extends for. That's a great question. It's a really great question. Um, how, so the Haitian Revolution, Haitian Revolution go? is when. It's also in the seventeen, late seventeen hundreds, I think. I'd have to S look it up. Look it up okay. real quick. That's a fascinating question that I want to run down. Because Payne would have, Payne almost certainly. Payne the revolt began in 1791 and ended in 1804. Uh, Payne dies in 1798, I think. So he would have been alive for the start of it. Old, but yeah. should look up his. Uh, yeah, that's a great thing. If someone, uh, if someone listens to this and looks it up before Wednesday and/or Friday. Uh, I'm going to do the same. So he... When did he die? Died in 1809. 1809. So after, they've, they've won. Yeah. The Haitian Revolution has succeeded. Yeah. Uh, I want to look this up. All right. Anyway. This is a good project. Interesting. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. He's a supporter of the French Revolution. Well, you know. But whether he's a supporter of the Haitian Revolution... It's a different question. A uh, much different question, although it not ought not to be for it someone who is ought a... ought not to be if you're a true Democrat. Mm. Truly care about throwing off a yoke of monarchy. Page 34. It wouldn't surprise me either way. Yeah. To be no, clear. I... But I don't know. It's a great question. I mean, he it... certainly would be... All right, read we, that. Read we that not, now. Read we were that. We're not unawares in the Read United it. Read States it because I'm. Time. I'm just gonna. Go, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, okay. I'm going. Page thirty-four. Can we but leave posterity with a settled form of government, an independent constitution of its own, the purchase at any price? Oh wait, I don't know. Hold on, I have to read this again. Can we but leave posterity with a settled form of government, an independent constitution of its own, the purchase at any price will be cheap. But to expend millions for the sake of getting a few vile acts repealed and routing the present ministry only is unworthy the charge and is using posterity with the utmost curly because it is leaving them the great work to do and a debt upon their backs from withy? From with. Withy? Curly and withy? I don't know what's going on in this coat. They Sorry. derive no advantage. Some of it, I'm like, is this old language, or have you made a typo? Do you want me to take a look at it? Yeah, read this one. I don't think you can track down the Haiti thing now. I think you have to do that for class. You can just tell. Someone can tell me. All right. Most, with the utmost curly? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Cruelty. 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 Okay, you want to try to try to take another stab at that one? Yeah, yeah, and a debt upon their backs from which they derive no advantage. Okay. Right. So what's going on here? With this quote, it's more of the posterity business. It's more of the sense of what we're doing isn't really for us. Think of the future. Think of the children. Think so of we're our... saying that the purchase of the like settled form of government and the independent constitution is cheap when we consider There's the no posterity. There's no cost too of, large. Like, it's priceless. Right. right. 
right? And I right. think this but that, is... But he's going against reformism in the next part. You've got it exactly. Right. So that we can't like expend millions for the sake of just getting some vile acts repealed, that that would be a waste. You've got it exactly. Yeah. Okay. You've got it exactly. All right. Should I do our last one? Do our last one here. Okay. So from page 48, we have it in our power. But your, your typing got sort of fell down I at know. the end here. We have it in our power to being the world over again. What do you think that one's supposed to say? Uh, let me see it again. We have it in our power to begin the world over to again. Begin. Okay. Right, we're going to end with one of his great rhetorical flourishes. All right. A situation similar to the present hath not happened since the days of Noah until now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The birthday of a new world is at hand, and a race of men, perhaps as numerous as all Europe contains, are to receive their position of freedom from the events of a few months. Well, how we go? Here we go. Noah's Ark. So it's a it's a biblical Recreation. proportions. He knits together. I mean, what what I think makes the art, what I think makes the text so effective, is the way that all of these arguments, right? So you've got an exceptionalist argument, right? That like we have to do this because, I mean, exceptionally whatever, right? Like this is this is the moment at which this is the place at which monarchy is finally mm -hmm. you know rooted out mm -hmm. the rot of monarchy is you know excised from the world you've got this kind of biblical mm -hmm. rejection of it you've got this common sense i mean just weave so many different registers of argument together in a fairly brisk package that is just easy to get carried away with right um well and i mean it seems like that of the time that the biblical references would have been all well oh, of course. known, right? Yes. So, I mean, like, even they were when we're thinking, part of like, common sense. when people read that now, I mean, I don't know what the students' experiences are, how many of them grew up in religious institutions or not, but, like, you know, now I don't know whether or not as many readers would be able to, like, easily incorporate some of the biblical stuff mm -hmm. into their own. But I feel like at this time, even that would have been, like, doing a small exegesis Yes, would have been like a... Yes, certainly, certainly. Everyone's going like, to church still, yeah. right? They're accustomed to having someone interpret for them what the book of Samuel means right. to the present day. So that this part seems to me like that is also reasonably accessible. And then where he's taking the political philosophy, he is putting it... What does he say in the first one in... That I read first, plain arguments. Plain arguments. Right? So he is taking that Absolutely. theory and putting it in a relatively plain Absolutely. argument. Absolutely. Um, even if you don't want to call it common sense, it is, you know, he's he's stripped away quite a bit of the... Um, it ain't John Locke. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Even his thought experiment is, like, far quicker and, like... It's much. No. It's not like we haven't like, yeah. It's what makes it. it. It's what makes it a, a fairly brilliant text. It's what uh -huh. makes it a nice revolutionary pamphlet, and it's what I think. I mean, yeah. It's not quite. I mean, even.
even compared to the Declaration of Independence. Right. It's still even plainer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right, but it takes the sentiments of the Declaration of Independence right. and kind of blasts them in this populist way. I mean, the Declaration yeah. of Independence had plenty of fairly commonsensical kinds of arguments, right? But like, sure. we hold these truths to be self-evident. Right. Right, is none of this is... You feel like that one reads, though, more like a formal letter? Where this Truly. doesn't, Truly. right? I mean, I don't know. I, I, well, the last time I read the Declaration of Independence, I may have also been in that ninth grade civics class, but, um, but yeah. Anyway. Well, this is Thomas Paine. Remember, as I said, we're kind of breezing through the 18th century. Um, if you're really, if you love this stuff, as I said before, you should take Professor Ambrose, uh, Professor Martin's class on the founding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we just do not, there's no reason for me to go into depth on no, the 18th no, century yeah. when you have a whole course on a it. A whole course. And, um, but I want to emphasize, and we'll talk about this on Wednesday and Friday, this does, I think, set down some important themes. And um, also, you can already see the way it's, it's kind of, you see the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The kind of, um, revision of some of the exceptionalist themes from Mather being tied to now political ends, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That are shot through again with religious, right? But that are shot through with religious imagery. But you're getting a start a certain kind of transformation of the of the exceptionalist themes. So that's that's where I think we should leave it. It gives us plenty to talk about on uh, the rest of the week, and I look forward to seeing you on the Zoom. Have a good one.